This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown, filling in for Libby Snymer. Elder care is the new child care, according to Dr. Linda Duxbury, a professor at Carleton University. The physical, emotional, and financial stress of caring for a loved one is a reality for many Zoomers. Today, we'll be joined by Dr. Duxbury to talk about the societal shifts needed to make sure we're taking care of the caregivers. Plus, Toronto City Councillor Josh Matlow has been named the city's official seniors advocate. It's his goal to make Toronto an age-friendly city. We'll ask him what that means and how he hopes to achieve it. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A man's heartbreaking plea for visits from his friends and family has gone viral. Alan Beamer of Big Rapids, Michigan, has Alzheimer's. His wife, Mary, posted a video to Facebook in which Alan talks about the hardships of Alzheimer's and the loneliness he feels. I'm I'm the same old person, and I wish that people, all my friends, could come up and just talk to me just like they did before. And... uh, you know, play or joke around. Do you feel as though they're afraid of you? Yeah, I know they're afraid of me. The clip has struck a chord. It's been viewed by hundreds of thousands of people and shared around the world. About three out of every 100 homeless Canadians are former soldiers. According to a just-released study by Employment and Social Development Canada, an estimated 2,250 veterans use shelters on a regular basis. That represents about nearly 3% of the total homeless population. The numbers come from a database that tracks 60 emergency shelters across Canada. But the authors caution the data is far from complete. The study found the average age of homeless vets is 52 compared with 37 in the general population, and many ex-soldiers cite alcoholism, drug addiction, and mental health issues as reasons for their situation. A British man went to great lengths to trick his own mother into accepting his kidney. Caring Imran Najib had offered his mother, Zainab, a kidney after she suffered some damage. Her kidneys were only functioning at 25%, but she refused because she didn't want him to put his own life at risk. Mr. Najib, a bank manager, then told his mother he was going to go through the procedure anyway and that he was going to sell his kidney on eBay. He looked up a picture of a kidney on Google, printed it out, and said it was his own and that it was going to fetch over 10,000 pounds. His tactic worked. His mom said he was crazy to sell his kidney to a complete stranger when she could have it instead. He revealed the ruse, and the two headed off for a successful kidney transplant in Manchester. Both have recovered well. 
This week, we said goodbye to Pat Harrington Jr., the actor who played the cocky handyman Dwayne Schneider on the long-running sitcom One Day at a Time. Harrington was born in 1929 in New York City, the son of Pat Harrington Sr., a Montreal-born song and dance man in vaudeville and on Broadway. The son displayed a showbiz bent of his own, but more comedy-inclined. In the 1950s, he landed various roles in television comedy, including a recurring part on the Danny Thomas sitcom Make Room for Daddy, and as a sketch comic on the Steve Allen Plymouth show. However, it was his role on the 1970s sitcom One Day at a Time that brought him the most notoriety. His manager says Harrington died Wednesday at the age of 86 in Los Angeles of complications from Alzheimer's disease. I'm Jane Brown, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. For decades, parents have been struggling to juggle work and family commitments, making trade-offs and special arrangements with employers to attend a school event or pick up a sick child. But as Canada's population ages, researchers say there is a different kind of work-life balance emerging. Dr. Linda Duxbury is a Carleton University business professor. Her research suggests more Canadians in midlife are looking after aging parents than young children. She's on the line with us now. Linda, is that true? Elder care is the new child care? Absolutely. And uh, so we've got a couple of demographic trends going on all at once, which is kind of brewing a perfect storm. The first is we've got the largest uh, cohort in our population, not just our population. This is not just poor, pathetic Canada having this problem, by the way. This is like the entire developed world. So we have people living longer. We've got a huge group, the baby boomers, all aging at the same time, and all of whom medical science is extending life, though not necessarily quality of life at the end. And our fertility rates and our birth rates have gone down in this country since the late 60s. So we're in a situation where we've got more older people and fewer young people both having children and being available to care for us. And then the work-life balance shifts for a lot of people like us in midlife um, who may be looking after children and aging parents at the same time. Well, we, we call that group the sandwich generation, and that in some ways is too simplistic because our data would say we have the open-faced sandwich, so the single parent who's also looking after an aged parent. We have the clubhouse sandwich, which is baby boomers whose children have got married, had children got divorced, come home, and they're also looking after mama, and they're looking after their grandchild. Um, And then we've got the sandwich generation and our data, but it's not like you've got one person you care for for a couple of months and then they die. Mm-hmm. Our data would say you're caring for two, three people simultaneously uh, for upwards of six years. And childcare, you know, as your child ages, it's exciting, it's fun, it's joy, and eventually they're going to leave, but they're going to leave to create their own household. With your parents, it's them deteriorating before, you know, your eyes. Many parents don't want to be parented by you, so it's a much more challenging role. And in this case, when they leave, it's a very bittersweet thing. It's not something we look forward to. So a lot of young folks coped with work and family by delaying having children and having far fewer. But you can't cope by not having a mother. Everybody has a mother. Everybody has a father. Everybody has in-laws, and they care about them. 
And tell us about your findings. Uh, you studied 25,000 mostly professional workers. It's yes. fairly staggering, <laughs> your, fi- your findings. The data is unequivocal that uh, as the number of caregiving demands you have increases, your amount of stress and depression increases. So we had about uh, 70% of the women in the sandwich generation in our sample and close to 60% of the male in the sandwich generation with, with very, very high levels of stress. And we had about 50% of both of those groups with high levels of depression. And the other thing, uh, again, about stereotypes, we've often assumed that elder care is a gendered role and women are more likely to be stressed by it and engage in it. Our data says that's true for older members of the population, but once we get to people in their 30s and 40s, the predictor tends to be whose parent it is, not what gender you are. Right. And I guess in dealing with aging parents, it's something that is inevitable. Can yes. we just can we, can we address how to deal with these stresses in the new midlife of taking care of aging parents? Well, you know, if I had an answer for that, I'd be I'd be a saint. Yeah. I'd be famous. I mean, the problem is right now, I mean, even if you look at the last election, okay? Child care, child care, parents, parents. Did you see any discussion at all in that election about what I think is arguably a much bigger challenge, which is the whole aging of our population and the elder care issue? I think that a lot of what needs to be done is at the big policy level. I think in many ways we need to have the same kinds of support for people who are caring for elderly parents as we do for people who are caring for young children. Both are hugely important roles to our society. Only one is being recognized. There is a cost to downloading this to Canadian families, and that cost is increased stress. It's decreased productivity at work. It's increased hospital stays, not just for their parent, but for them. So there's a huge cost to it, and we have to start measuring and tracking that and then start doing something about it. The pendulum is certainly swinging uh, from child care to elder care, and having the conversation will lead to the changes in policy. So we thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, for, for taking time out to interview me on this topic that I think we all feel passionate about it. Dr. Duxbury, we will speak again. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. I've been speaking with Dr. Linda Duxbury of Carleton University. I'm Jane Brown, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Toronto City Councillor Josh Matlow is the city's new seniors advocate. He'll join us in just a moment to talk about his new appointment and the plans he has to make Toronto an age-friendly city. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Josh Matlow believes that a successful city is an age-friendly city. The Toronto City Councillor has been named Toronto's new seniors advocate as he continues to push for businesses and services to be accessible to and inclusive of older people with varying needs and capabilities. A friend of Zoomer Media... Josh Matlow joins us now to talk more about these challenges. Josh, what makes a city age-friendly? According to the World Health Organization, you want to focus on everything from respect and social inclusion, civic engagement, social participation, 
community support and health services, communications, information, outdoor spaces and buildings, transportation, housing. Um, and you want to make sure that uh, all of these things happen within a, within a time period uh, that you actually can not only support seniors in the future, but also this generation of seniors today, which we have a, a quickly growing demographic mm-hmm. of. You know, back in 2011, this was shortly after I was elected to council, I brought forward a motion to uh, to initiate a, a senior strategy for the city of Toronto. And not to say that there hadn't been a lot of work that had been done in the past, but uh, the, the problem that we found was that, uh, uh, you know, looking backwards, we discovered, and this might shock you, that governments hadn't always uh, worked very well together <laughs> and, 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 and got things done together. So, um, you know, I've worked very closely with... Uh, uh, city staff like Andrea Austin from our social development uh, department and Samir Sinha, who's the head of geriatrics at Mount Sinai Hospital. And he's also, uh, importantly, uh, the lead on the Ontario senior strategy. So we, we, we wanted to make sure that Toronto and Ontario were working hand in glove rather than on competing visions. Right. Do we have a long way to go? In other words, is Toronto already somewhat age friendly? Well, I think relative to many cities in the world, yes, we are. And, uh, you know, we're working uh, very hard on obtaining um, the World uh, Health Organization's uh, nod as being a, uh, a world age-friendly city. Uh, and, and I believe we're going to achieve that. That being said, though, um, I think if you are uh, a senior in the city, uh, you know, the average senior will say that we've got a lot more to do. And what complaints do you hear, or challenges do you hear from elderly people in Toronto about that? So there's a number of challenges with regard to, to poverty and housing. For example, uh, you know, right now, if, you, if you're trying to access affordable housing, uh, you're you know, typically facing a uh, roughly 90,000 person waiting list. And typically that's, you know, eight, nine years. And if you are uh, an older person, um, to, to be very candid, you may be one of those people that will not outlive that waiting list. And that's, that's a crisis. Uh, and there are many seniors, and that's a growing number of seniors who are uh, near or, at the, or, or under the poverty line, who have no other sources of, of income and are really struggling. Uh, and even those who decide that they have to work again, let's say even in their 70s or 80s, which is a sad commentary on our society, uh, they face ageism. And it's very difficult for them to find employment. Transit as well, access to transit. Um, and, uh, and then even just uh, isolation and isolation and health connect with how we make decisions about where we put community centers, access to community centers, what libraries we have, where we have bus routes, what hours those bus routes connect to those libraries and those recreation centers. So we've adopted the senior strategy, which has the eight themes of age friendliness. Yeah. And it's great to come up with a concept because that is always the, the starting point. Implementation can be a different matter. As we move forward, is there a timeline? Do you have certain expectations? So in, in 2011, I had the, I guess, the intent of the strategy approved by council, and then we worked on it from there. And I'm happy to say that of the many recommendations that we had in the strategy, uh, about 95% of those recommendations have actually been completed. We're not done. We're just, we feel like we're just getting started. So I was recently appointed, as you know, as, uh, as formerly the city's seniors advocate. And so I'm meeting with uh, senior staff who are working on this, along with Dr. Sinha, 
and consulting with uh, the Toronto Seniors Forum and many other organizations that we've been meeting with over the past two or three years um, to focus on what should our priorities be for, let's informally call it Senior Strategy 2.0. And what are the funding requests that we need to make now? Uh, that's always where you get into complications. Everyone says that they, you know, care about seniors, but uh, when, when you ask different governments to cut a check, that's a different story. So we need to make sure that there are clear, clear goals uh, that that people can get behind. And I'll give you one example. This is one of the things that I'd like to focus on, which is that uh, the overwhelming majority of pedestrian fatalities in our city uh, are are seniors. Absolutely, we talk about that a lot on Zoomer Radio. Good. Well, it's, it's, it's important to talk about. And when we talk about initiatives like Vision Zero, um, zero doesn't mean don't do anything, <laughs> but talk about it. Vision, means, Vision Zero means we, we want zero pedestrian fatalities and we need to invest in that priority. There's a lot of, you know, some cynics might say, well, there's a lot of things the government uh, spends our money on that's wasteful. I agree with them. But I don't think any reasonable person could ever argue that making our streets safer for all of us, including uh, seniors in this city, uh, isn't a good, uh, a good investment. And that's something that I'd like to see us do. Well, we'll be checking back with you often, and it's great to hear your passion as Thank you head you. up this new position. Thanks, Councillor Matlow. I'm excited about the work we've got to do. Thank you. City Councillor Josh Matlow, Toronto's new seniors advocate. I'm Jane Brown, in for Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. It's time for a quick break, and then we're back to celebrate the birth of Elvis Presley. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. Libby Snymer's off today. I'm Jane Brown. It's time for the International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. In New York, this is the final weekend to see Tony winners James Earl Jones and Cicely Tyson in The Gin Game, the story of two nursing home residents involved in an increasingly strained game of one-upmanship. Final performance is Sunday afternoon at the John Golden Theatre. At the Art Institute in Chicago, the career of impressionist Edgar Degas is the focus of an exhibition involving two exceptional loans, seen from the steeplechase from the National Gallery in Washington and Little Dancer from a private collection. History comes alive in London, 120 feet below the Clapham South subway station, where the London Transport Museum has opened some of the air raid tunnels that sheltered Londoners during the Blitz in World War II. The curator says they're in pretty good shape. The network of tunnels provided protection for some 8,000. And in Paris, the Gallery Argentique revisits the great French humanist photographers with 40 pictures that explore the movement from its pre-World War II origins to its peak in the 1960s. With the International Arts Book, I'm Bob Kompsik. This past Friday, January 8th, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, would have celebrated his 81st birthday. And not only does this week mark a milestone in his personal life, it's also a major anniversary for his career. Sixty years ago, 1956, was the year when Elvis Presley shot to superstardom. It was the year he first appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show. It was also the year he made his first major recording for the RCA Victor label. 
On January 10th, he went to RCA's recording studios at 1525 McGavick Street in Nashville. He arrived with a song ready to record, seeking the label's approval. The label executives weren't so sure. It didn't sound like the Elvis Presley they knew from Sun Records. And after the song was recorded, memos were sent around calling the song a mess. One top executive went as far as to state, we certainly can't release that one. In the end, Elvis had it his way, and the song was released as a single on January 27th of 1956. It changed everything. And here it is, the song Elvis recorded on January 10th, 1956, Heartbreak Hotel. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. That was Elvis with Heartbreak Hotel, a song he recorded 60 years ago. Elvis Presley would have just celebrated his 81st birthday. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown for Libby's Nimer. I'll be back next week. Be sure to tune in to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Nimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.